Well, it is a joy to be able to have the privilege to be able to open God's Word with you this morning, Haven Baptist Church. I had the opportunity to be able to get to know your pastor just over the telephone, and we had a chance to be able to have a really good conversation sharing stories and testimony back and forth to one another. And then I listened to his message that he preached last Sunday. And wow, you have an incredibly gifted, passionate preacher and expositor of the Word of God. And what a treasure he is to this precious church. He is, uh, he's vastly become my favorite uh, pastor, my, my favorite preacher. As I listened to him, I went back and listened to as many messages as I could over the last couple of days as he's preaching through the book of Esther. So it is an opportunity that I, to stand in his pulpit, to be able to have the opportunity to deliver his words is a great joy. So, and I loved listening to you singing. I know we got a small intimate group here this morning, but I tell you what, when you do, you have the opportunity to be able to hear one another's voices in a way that just resonates with your own. And it was really precious this morning to be able to hear my wife's voice and my son's bass voice that sings those songs right behind me. And I tell you, it's worship. It's worship when you have a chance to be able to sing God's songs uh, with his people together, isn't it? I love that song that we sang for our call to worship. Come now, fountain of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy praise, uh, thy grace. Because our hearts get so out of tuned so easy, don't they? I find that to be the case. And we need to be reminded that we have never ceasing mercies every day. And they call for songs of loudest praise. And that's really what I want to share with you this morning. The passage of scripture that we're going to go to is exhorting the church on what it means to be able to treasure the truths that we know and declare those truths to one another. So I'm going to ask you if you'll turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and the passage that we're going to be covering here is uh, 15, 16, and 17 will be our focus verses I think when I forwarded uh, the verses, I think I left off 15, but I really want to focus on those three verses. We're going to look at the whole context in just a moment, but I want to be able to, for us just to be able to descend right now and ask God's Spirit to be able to help us to understand His truth. I believe the Word of God to be living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce the deepest parts of our soul and being. And when we, as God's people, come to the Word of God, His Spirit takes over and illuminates that text to us. And it is living. If you're a believer in Christ and you've walked with him, you know what I mean. It comes alive in you. So may we read it in that spirit. Verse 15 in chapter 3. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all of wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. May God be honored at the reading of his word. Amen. If you'll join me in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we have come to worship you this morning. And we have sung your praises. We have asked you to be able to inhabit the praises of your people. And Lord, as your word is sung back to you, we know that your spirit and presence is here amongst us. And so this morning, we just want to be able to hear from you. We want to look into your living, all authoritative word and ask you to reveal insights about yourself to us so that we may grow in holiness and Christ-likeness. We're so grateful, Father, for the opportunity to gather each and every Sunday morning with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't want to look at that as commonplace. That is a sacred privilege that we have to gather together each and every week. And Lord, it's a privilege and a freedom that we're able to enjoy in this part of the world. And Lord, we do give you thanks for the freedoms that we enjoy on this 4th of July weekend. When we recognize there are so many that have given their lives up for us to enjoy these freedoms that we're able to experience. So Lord, we remember that freedom was not free. And Lord, it cost us dearly. And so, Lord, I pray that throughout this weekend we will remember and treasure you for the God that you are all, our, all of our lives and what you've done to preserve this precious country that we all love. 
May you continue to shed your light upon this country. May you raise up believers to be able to stand for truth so the light of your gospel would shine forth on this world which so desperately needs to see the light and the love of the gospel of Christ. And I know that falls upon your church to be able to embrace the truths that we know and then to be able to lovingly share those truths with those that need to hear. So, Lord, today I pray that we would treasure these truths. I pray, Lord, that you would excite us and give us passion as we walk through this scripture. May you be glorified in all that we say and all that we do. We thank you, Father, for Pastor Andrew. I want to pray for him this morning as he has the opportunity to open your word in Peru and that part of the country. We know that you are with him. We know that you'll use him greatly to spread the gospel. And I pray, Lord, that you would anoint his ministry and that you'd give him favor before all the people, and that you would, Father, bring him home soon and safe and be with his precious family as he's away. We thank you, Father, for all of this. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, last week, like I said, on Monday, I had the opportunity to check your website out and to be able to go listen to Brother Andrew. And he preached a message from Esther chapter 8. Those of you that were here... Uh, That message was called A Passion Worthy of Our Message, and I'd commend it to everybody that is here to be able to go back and listen to that truth, Uh, the passion worthy of our message. And today, I just want to amplify that which he so passionately preached last week. I want to exhort you to what happens when we all receive that message, and it begins to reverberate and echo within us and amongst the church, amongst the body of believers, and then throughout the world. So that is my purpose this morning. I'd like to be able to see in my church, and I know in your church, a culture of disciples that hear the word of God, and it begins to resonate with them, and they begin to be able to turn and allow it to to affect others. In acoustics, the term reverberation is a persistent echo, a sound that it happens after it is produced. And as we experience God's grace and take joy in it, that truth that we hear should echo in our souls and move like sound waves that cause reverb. You follow me? Reverb. I read a book by that title this past week by Jonathan Lehman on renovation. And this is a quote that he says, and I thought it was really accurate and really works well with this passage of Scripture. He says, one thing is necessary for our churches, and that is hearing God's word through preaching, reading, singing, and praying. When the word of God is central, it echoes or reverberates out into all the parts of the life of the church. Picture it this way, he says, the word of God doesn't just sound once, it echoes or reverberates. It reverberates through the church's music through the church's prayers. It reverberates through the conversations between deacons and members and guests, older Christians and younger ones. God's word bounces around the life of the church like a metal ball in the pinball machine. But that is not all. It also reverberates into people's homes, into their workplaces, into their families, into their neighborhoods, out onto Facebook, to the internet, to blogs, everywhere else people go. Does that make sense? That's the picture that I want you to have this morning as we go through this text. This reverberation, like sound waves, the gospel is to go forth and continue to do its work in every one of us. We're not just to sit to absorb. We want to be able to reflect and allow those sound waves, those gospel waves, to affect our souls as well as everyone around us. God's message gives life to a church like electricity gives power to a city. So picture that. God's word is to be like that. The message of the gospel is too good for just to be absorbed, once heard. It should move from our head to our heart, down into our hands and to our feet, and it should move throughout our life. The message we have, like the king's edict that you heard last week, is to reverse the curse upon the Jews because Esther's intercession. And, in, and that curse has been reversed. Once condemned to die, we now have the rights and the privileges 
of our intercessor, our great Jesus Christ who stood in the gap for us. And now it's our job, like it was their job, to proclaim that good news and speak forth like Malachi did. Um, excuse me, Mordecai did in Esther chapter 8, verses 15 through 17. I just want to read that. This is Mordecai. He's got the king's edict, as you heard last week, and he's beginning to deliver that to the people. And he went out from the presence of the king in the royal robes of blue and white with a great golden crown and a robe of fine linen and purple. And the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. And in every province and every city, wherever the king's command is edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday. And many from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews because fear had fallen upon them. Oh, may this gospel message that we have that has reversed our curse continue to be able to go out with the same gladness and joy. Amen? Amen. So that is really what Psalm 116 is all about. And Ryan, I appreciate you saying that we are being your favorite psalm because it is also one of mine. And that is one of the reasons why I picked this psalm. Because this past week, last two weeks, I've run to that psalm. It has been my comfort. And it has been something to be able to remind myself, what shall I return to the Lord uh, for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation. And I will tell everybody the salvation that I have in Christ because it is their salvation. In a world in which everybody is searching for salvation, it is right here in the glorious cup of the gospel. So I will lift it up and I will call upon him. And that is our job as a church, as a body of believers, to call upon. This is a message that we should be passionate about. Amen? Amen. That was the point of Brother Andrew's message last week. And I tell you, as I listened to it, I was, I was standing up. And I was ready to be able to declare the truth along with him, saying, he's right. He's right. This message is worthy of our passion. It's worthy of everything that we have. And I believe the passage that we have here in the New Testament in Colossians is just a way to be able to echo exactly what was happening there in Esther's day as Paul picks it up. So this book of Colossians, I've just started being able to kind of absorb in it and marinate in its truth. And as I've read it over and over and over again, I'm realizing how rich it is and how full it is of Christ language. Um, so I, I commend it to you. But Paul wrote Colossians during one of his uh, several imprisonments uh, for announcing Jesus as risen from the dead. Can you imagine that? You're going to proclaim what you have testified to, what, the, what has affected you, an eyewitness account of seeing, the, seeing Christ speak to him, and he gets imprisoned for it. Well, he ends this book of Colossians in 4.18, and the way he ends that, if you want to just flip over that to that last verse, it's a powerful verse because he says in 4.18, I, Paul, writing this greeting with my own hand, writing this letter with my own hand, and he says, remember my chains. It's an interesting comment. Remember my chains. And when he says that, he's not looking for pity. He's saying that this message is worth losing your life for, losing your freedom for. That's a powerful message, right? Amen. And he carries this word, this letter, to be able to hit uh, God's people with the same passion. It's addressed to believers that were gathering as a church community in Colossae, modern-day Turkey. Paul had not met this group of believers personally, uh, but had learned of their faith and their struggles from one of the men that had been converted by the gospel under Paul, most likely in Ephesus. As Paul's preaching the word, Epaphras, this gentleman, happened to be there in the hearing of the word. And he heard the gospel. And he heard what Jesus did, and it converted him. And he said, I got to go back, and I got to tell everybody in the city what I have heard from this Jesus. And as he goes back, and he begins to testify there's a church that's planted in Colossae and so it's an amazing story um, Epaphras is also mentioned in the book he's two times in this book and he's also mentioned one other time in Philemon 
In the first chapter of Colossians, we learn that he is the one who brought the gospel to them and planted their church, as I said. If you'll turn over, if you're open to Colossians chapter 3, kind of turn back and let's look at Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. And I'd like to be able to get a running start. These chapters are so rich and so full, and I think it would bless your soul to be able to, for us to be able to understand his whole argument as Paul is writing from prison, as Epaphras is reporting to him everything that's happening in the life of the church. Paul takes his pen and he begins to address these believers and he says these words. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all of the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you. As indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. This message of the gospel is growing and it's increasing and it's reaching multiple cities all throughout that part of the world. And it says, and he says, it does so among you since the day you heard of it and understand, understood the grace of God and truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. At the end of this book, in 4.12, Paul commends, commends him to the church. And he says, Epaphras, who is one of y'all, one of you guys, a servant of Christ Jesus, he greets you, always struggling on behalf of you for in his prayers, that you may stand mature and strong in the faith, fully assured in the will of God. For I bear witness that he has worked hard for you. So Paul is commending this brother Epaphras, and he's saying, I have watched him. I have watched him pour out his soul for you as a church. He has struggled for you in his prayers that you would stand firm and strong. And that is his prayer that he's praying for this body of believers. Like I said in the book of Philemon, Paul refers to him as a fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. And he sends greetings to Philemon on his behalf. Epaphras was probably with Paul under house arrest. And making him a fellow prisoner in his companionship with Paul. So in these three mentions in the scripture... Epaphras, we only get a glimpse of who he was, but we are struck uh, by the difference that he made in the days that he had. We know that he understood the gospel of grace, and we know that he passionately shared it with these people. We know that he worked diligently as an ambassador for Christ. We know that he took that passion on the road with Paul, and he wanted to be able to tell others the message that had changed his life to those that still had not heard. And let me tell you, when the message possesses you and you love what it has done to your life, there is something natural that you want to go tell it and share it with others, right? It's like I have just found the cure, y'all. I have been looking for salvation in all the wrong places, but I have found it in Christ Jesus. And this message is too good not to share with others. I have been recently arrested by that thought. And I have got to a place where I am discontent with what I, I mean, how I'm expressing that. And I no longer want to be in a position where I'm just hoarding what I know. I want to herald what I've come to love. And I want to lead a people to be able to herald that message that has changed their life. It is no longer just to us to absorb it, to continue just to continue to be educated and educated in more and more and more stuff. Education is awesome. We need to grow in Christ-likeness. But that message needs to be resonating through our life, and we need to be telling others. We need to look up. We need to see people around us. We need to initiate speech, you know, speech. We need to say, you know what? So I got three, three things. This is, this is completely outside the notes, but I'm going to give it to you for free. This is, I want, you to, I want you to see people. I want you to speak to people. 
And I want you to be ready to share. Because I believe when the church takes that message seriously, it needs to be able to be communicated to those in the grocery store, to those at work, to those down the hallway, wherever you're at. You need to see people. Get out of your phone, you know. We're always walking around, want to be occupied. You know, I minister to students regularly, and it is so hard for them to have confidence just to be able to put the phone down, put it in the pocket, and to be able to look up. I mean, how hard is that? Look up. See people. And initiate a comment. Say hello, you know. You're walking in the grocery store. How about them? How about that produce? Doesn't that look good? And then all of a sudden, you are in a conversation. My wife does this naturally. And she is a beautiful testimony to me every time we go out like this. People start strike up a conversation with her. And I'm like, how do you do this? You know, she's in the produce section carrying on a conversation with somebody. And I'm already all the way in the milk, down there getting milk. And I'm like, what, what's going on? I come back and I, she's in a full-out conversation with somebody. She just does that. People are a magnet to her because she has a yes face. You know what a yes face is? It just looks up and just smiles. She just radiates that. And it's compelling. It's contagious. We got that message, and it should be contagious through our life, right? I'm convicted. And I know when believers get to that same idea, it's going to be powerful. It's going to change our community, and I can't wait to be a part of it. I'm so looking forward to what God's going to do. So this message needs to resonate, right? So before Paul moves on to lecture and preaching mode, he opens up with a beautiful prayer for the Colossians. And, and it's too good to pass over. So look at verse 9, okay? And verse, when we begin to pray for one another, you know, you get into prayer meetings and sometimes we naturally go to and drift to physical things, you know, ailments that we have. And, and that's good. We need to be praying for our ailments and praying for specific needs that we know. But here's where the way Paul prayed for these believers. And I think it's instructive for us. He says, from the day that I heard of your faith, I have not ceased to pray for you. And this is what he asked for. I'm praying that you would be filled. I'm praying that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual understanding and wisdom so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen? Amen. And as he is rehearsing the gospel in his prayer, it happens. You see it happen? It's like liftoff. It happens right in the middle of him calling to mind. He's praying for this people. And as he's recalling what he's praying for, he's recalling the impact of the gospel, the transfer from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his light. And he just, he just goes. And he, and, he, and, he, and he shoots up almost this exaltation and, this, and passion. This is where passion comes from. We need to get this because as the pastor preached, Pastor Andrew, we have a passion worthy of our message. We said that. He said that. And that is amen to that. Where does that passion come from? It comes from meditating and marinating on a long time over these gospel truths. So that gospel ends up inflecting and, and, and invading every part of us. We can't think apart from gospel truths. And he gives us an example right here in these next six verses, 15 through 20. He gives an example of what happens when the word of God richly dwells in an individual, okay? Look at verse 15. And he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, 
and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He exults in this. And because of the conciseness and the structure of these verses, some scholars believe that he is quoting from another possible source. I look at it and I just see a beautifully stated confession of who he knows Christ to be. And an example of a hymn that we should be singing to one another. This is the type of hymn he's saying. This, you want to sing hymns. We want to sing truth. And this is a hymn that's beautifully constructed under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that teaches who Christ is. This is what is to be resonating in the life of a believer. You got me? Amen. And, it's, and, and you, you can't, it, it can't just be casual. And he continues, and, this, and then, he goes, then he moves into preaching, okay? He, he's, he's prayed for him. He's rehearsed of the gospel. And, and, he, and he goes off and exulting in who he is. And then he, then he begins to pray. Then he begins then, then, then to lean in, right? And he says, you and you and you who were once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body. Oh, think of it. Reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach with him, before him. If indeed you continue in that which you know, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard which has been proclaimed in all of creation under heaven, in which I, Paul, became a minister. Amen. So he is, he is laying it down. And he is preaching to them, folks, this message, it's so good. And it needs to be living in your life, and it needs to be able to produce stability and steadfastness, adhering to what Christ has given us. He is admonishing them to continue in the faith, to be stable, And I don't know about you, but I needed to hear that the last couple of weeks. Because I don't know, sometimes life is tough. And sometimes you get derailed. Sometimes just it could be a simple comment. And it takes you out. And it takes the wind out of your sails. You go through a trial or a difficulty, a time of suffering. And you're just about ready to cash it in. You know what? With this bad news that I've got, I just don't know. I just don't know if I can continue on. You know, I don't know if you've gotten ever gotten to that place in your life. But I've been there a few times. You hit the wall. And you don't know if you can continue to go on. Um, I confess, as a minister of the gospel, there are times when the spiritual attacks are so real. That you just want to walk away. And right now we're in an epidemic of pastors that are in burnout. They're leaving the ministry because they can't handle it. And my heart breaks for those brothers. I know that Christ is steadfast. And I know that we are to reach down deep in those moments and we're to draw from Him. I know what happens in my life when I experience a fresh wound as I run right to Christ, to those wounds that were given for me, and I put my fresh wounds right up against his wound. And in that moment, gospel truth begins to infuse into my life. And I'm renewed. And my hope returns to me again. That's what the word of God and the gospel message is to do for us. So thankful. suffered distress and anguish then I called on the name of the Lord and he answered and he delivered I wish I had time to preach through this entire book verse by verse but for the sake of time let's turn back in your Bibles to chapter 3 chapter 3 this is an amazing chapter of God and I know we're going to focus on these three verses but I can't just focus on just those three verses without giving you a little bit of context so chapter 3 if you'll read along with me If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, 
where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on this earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, when he appears, when he comes again, you will also appear with him in glory. So therefore, put to death everything that is earthly in you. And this is, this is in us. He just says it. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. idolatry. Verse 6, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these two you once walked when you were living in them. Past tense, right? But now there's been a change. You must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, just as the Lord has forgiven us, we also are to forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonish one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to him, to God through him. Amen. Amen. Paul wanted this church, this new church, to remember who they were. They have been made new in Christ. They have been given a new identity. So Paul uses this analogy of putting off the old and putting on the new, like getting a new wardrobe, right? When you get a new wardrobe, you have to throw out the old stuff because the closet is jam-packed right? And you have to be able to put on the new. In order to make room for the new, you've got to get rid of the old. So Paul, as he's describing this new identity of this new man, says what this new wardrobe is to look like in relationship to others. And look at this list. Oh, if we only had this, and our friendships, our family, right? And our community. Look at this list. This is your new clothing. This is what should be evidenced in your life. Compassion. Kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness, and above all, love. And if you look at this list, all of these were perfectly embodied by Jesus. Amen? Amen. And this, this is what he says. Once you put all of this on and wear, wear this new wardrobe, he wants you to stay in that wardrobe. He wants you to remain in that wardrobe he wants you to abide right abide dwell rest in all that i have made you stay there experience this new life in him and i believe that's the key folks to being able to have fruitfulness in your life is to just abide in christ if we can learn how to be able to stay connected to the trunk Stay connected to Christ and allow his life to live through us. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So he says the way this will happen, look at this. Look at verse 15 and 16. And here we'll drill down. The way that you abide and the way that you stay in this place is by two things that I've picked up in this passage that I'm learning. I just want to share it with you and see if this resonates with you. Two things will happen when the peace of Christ rules and the word of God dwells. You see it in verse 15 and 16. 
ruled by the peace of Christ, inhabited by the word of Christ. You guys got it? Ruled by the peace of Christ, inhabited by the word of Christ. This is the context where the spirit of God reverberates and gives you a passion that is contagious to be able to change your culture and create a culture of disciples. Verse 15, let's look at this. Let the peace of Christ rule, okay? Can you say that with me? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body to be thankful. We just read it a few minutes ago in chapter 1. Paul explicitly stated in his prayer, didn't he, where that peace comes from. It's in verse 19 and 20 in chapter 1. He says, through Christ, in which all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. By the blood of his cross, he made peace. His blood is what has covered our sin and continues to cover our sin. Amen? We are not to walk in shame. We're not to walk in condemnation. So we must let the effects of his blood rule us. Church, we got to get this. This word is interesting. I looked it up. Been marinating in this word all week long. I'm saying, okay, Lord, relent. You got to show me what is the fullness of this word. This is good. You guys are with me? It says the word as you define it. The word can be understood to direct, to determine, to control, or even to arbitrate. Okay? The word, the peace of Christ is to direct, the peace of Christ is to determine. The peace of Christ is to lead, to control, to arbitrate. And the word picture I want to give you here is umpire. How many of you like baseball? I love baseball. All right? And I want you to think right now with me of the the baseball strike zone. Okay? You think about it? The peace of Christ is to umpire, to arbitrate, just as an umpire sits there behind the catcher. And it is his role and responsibility to determine whether that is a strike. Now, we may argue for the umpires because oftentimes you're like, well, what are you looking at, right? But his job and his responsibility is to arbitrate, to determine, is that ball coming into the strike zone? And he has got to be able to focus on that to make sure that he's calling the right strike, right? Or a ball. Well, I believe the peace of Christ here is to do just that. Whatever is in agreement with the umpire's judgment, he will call a strike. You follow me? Whatever's in agreement with what he says that standard should be. Now that we have the peace of God, whatever is agreeable with Jesus is to rule us. It's to, we're to allow that agreement of Jesus for us to umpire. Now here's how it works. When you're driving down the road and you have some person from out west that pulls in front of you, right? And cuts you off and does something that you don't, hey, we don't do that around here. And all of a sudden you have a thought that you know you shouldn't have and you get upset and impatient, right? Okay, now, is that thought in agreement of Christ? No. That's a ball. (laughs) You know, that's a ball. I've got to let that go. I cannot take it. Now, there are times when those thoughts come at you so quick. And before you realize it, you're swinging away. And it's foul tip. And you're like, foul tip. I've got to umpire my heart, you. You and I have got to umpire. We've got to be able to let the peace of Christ, won by the blood of Christ, umpire what we take in. Right? You follow me? The peace of Christ is to umpire whether or not we dwell on something or not. And we got to be able to see the zone. We can't allow stuff that's not meant for us to stick, right? we got to call it out. There are some times, they're here this week, uh, and as I'm, I have a thought and I'm going, foul, foul, uh-uh, that's, that's out, that's a ball. I am not to dwell on that. I am not to let that take me out. This is what the peace of Christ is this thought agreeable with Jesus? Is this thought 
what he wants me to think and dwell on. When the peace of Christ, he has reconciled me. He has made agreement with God, the Father, because of what he's done at the atonement, right? The Father's wrath was propitiated, was turned away upon him. He has allowed me to be in agreement with God. Now, everything that I'm to go through, I'm to be able to say, am I in agreement with God on this? Or am I out of bounds? Am I foul? Am I in foul territory? Because there are things that end up making my mind want to wander. And that is in foul territory. I need to be able to understand uh, that the peace of Christ, won by the blood of Christ, is what should umpire my heart. Amen? Amen. The scripture says you're to watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs and the issues of life. That means your heart matters significantly. Your, your heart thinks. Did you realize that? As a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. The heart thinks. So we've got to guard that heart. We've got to watch what we see, what we hear. Watch what we say in our own mind about ourselves. Number two there, verse 16. We're not only to let the peace of Christ umpire your heart. You're to let the word of Christ dwell. And look at the next word, richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. The word of Christ. And I want you to look at this. And this took me a little time to be able to figure this one out. The word of Christ. To say it this way is a little bit more narrow than the word of God, which we most have most references to. The word of God. Most of the scriptures will direct us to the word of God. Uh, Christians have as our rule and authority the written word of God. The Bible. We treasure the Bible. We value what God has recorded in his scriptures not only as sufficient for our lives, but all that we need to understand about who God is and what he has done. The scripture is the revelation of God, from God. God's word is living and active, breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So, Christians quietly, uh, quite rightly regard references to the Word of God and esteem them highly. But in two places, Paul uses a little bit different phrase, like he's using here. And he says, the Word of Christ. Okay, the Word of Christ. So that demands a little bit extra look. You know, when you're doing Bible study methods and hermeneutics, you're taught to be able to observe. What do you see? That will make you a good Bible student if asking that question and always asking questions of the text. There's something here that they're a little bit different. So I'm going to look at it and I'm going to take it and I'm going to try to be able to find out where are other places it's being used. Well, as you look at the word of Christ, it's also used in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Paul says, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. This is at the end of a series of questions that he has asked about the progress of the gospel. No one can believe unless they hear. And they cannot hear unless preachers are sent. And hearing the word of Christ is what brings faith. The word of Christ then is the gospel message. And it's sharpness. It's the word about Christ. In that sense, the presentation of the saving work of Jesus, the description of what he did when he died and he rose again. This is the word of Christ. This is the gospel message that all of us should know how to be able to share at, in, a, in, a, in a heartbeat. You ought to be able to know, if I wake you up in the middle of the night, what is the gospel? It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, my Lord. Yes, that's exactly right. You ought to be able to say it, and you ought to be able to say it compellingly. You know, you ought to be able to say and share your testimony within just a few seconds. I just finished a retreat with our students, and I taught them how to be able to share uh, their testimony in 15 seconds. And I can teach you how to do it as well. You just start off with a simple phrase. There was a time in my life when, and you use two things, just two. There was a time in my life when I had a lack of purpose and a fear of death. Then I met Christ, and I found purpose for life and security for life after death. Now that I've walked with Christ, I am absolutely convinced He is my salvation and He is the rule in which I live. 
Do you have a story like that? There it is. Did you get it? There was a time in my life when I was lost, alone. I met Christ and I found a friend, a redeemer. Now that I've met Christ, I'm telling everybody I can. Do you have a story like that? Boom, 15 seconds. It's easy for us to do. In church, we got to learn it so that when we come back, we're, we're seeing people and we're speaking up and then the Lord maybe opens opportunity to share. We ended up there. You know, there was a time in my life. And bam, and you go right through the gospel. And that is the power of God unto salvation. I hope you know it and are ready to deliver it when needed. This is the gospel message. And look at this word. It is to dwell, okay? This is the word dwell. Anything fire off in your head for, for the word dwell? This is a rich biblical word, right? This is God's purpose to dwell with his people, right? You remember in Exodus, this was his message that I want to dwell with my people. So therefore, I'm going to instruct you to build a tabernacle. And you are, I'm going to come and I'm going to live amongst you. I, I want to live where you're at. I want to dwell where you are at. God taught the people incredible things. It says there in Exodus, Exodus 25, Let them construct a sanctuary for me that I might dwell among them according to all that I'm going to show you as the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern and its furniture. So you shall construct it. In John chapter 1, and I woke myself up the other night quoting this verse. Um, it's in John chapter 1. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 14, and the word dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Glory of that of the only begotten son. The word became flesh and dwelt. The same word that Paul's using here, dwell, he says the word of God dwelt among you, okay? And as you see, this word is such a rich word. And so Paul says this word of Christ is to dwell in you richly, okay? Now follow me. Jesus doesn't just want to stop by for a visit. You hear me? Jesus just does not want to just stop by for a, a visit at your house. He wants to come and he wants to take over as a live-in guest. Have you had some of those live-in guests that stayed with you a little longer than maybe what you have liked? And that guest kind of ends up, you know, you say, you say make yourself at home, you know, but you kind of like... You don't expect him to be able to go back and go to every room and want to change every something about every room in your house, right? This is the idea, that the idea of dwelling is basically you're inviting. I'm asking Jesus to be able to come into my house and to take over and make over every room. That's what he wants. He wants to do He's not coming by for a visit. He doesn't want to come sit sweet tea for just a little while on a Sunday afternoon and say, good visit, I'm gone. He wants to come in and he wants to take over. He wants to make over your house. You got me? You follow me? And he wants to do it richly. Don't you love that? He wants to do it in style. You know? He didn't want to be able to go garage sailing. He, he wants to be able to do it richly in style. He wants to be able to lavish his blessings upon your life. And he wants to dwell in that state. He wants every situation is just be a sweetness in your life. Folks, if the gospel has penetrated your soul and it has washed over you and it has changed you, you've been around those people in your life when the gospel has so saturated in them, it's like when you get together with them, it just can't help but come out. You know, it's like, I don't get you. You can't knock you down. No matter what happens, you go through suffering, you're still praising Christ. You're saying, oh, it's so good. And his presence is fullness of joy. No matter what you go through, the word of God is dwelling in you so richly, it can't help but come out. And when you're together with a saint who the word of God is dwelling in richly, you know you've been with Jesus. You know that you've been in Jesus' presence. That's what the Word of God is to do in our life. Somebody's to sit down with us and they just see, they just sense it. They just smell the aroma of Christ all over you. As you testify to what He's doing in your life, that's the key.
to passionate living. You want to live passionately worth this message? You let the peace of Christ rule, umpire your heart, and you let the Word of God richly dwell. It's like high octane. Rich. Higher octane allows engines to have higher compassion uh, compression ratios for a more energetic explosion, more advanced ignition timing. Forced air induction like turbochargers and superchargers run engines richer, right? I don't know what all that meant. I had to look it all up. I know my son knows what all that means, and I'm, my soon-to-be son-in-law knows what that means. Uh, high octane, it means there's a richness in that fuel that makes you run sweet, right? And all of a sudden, you got more horsepower. You stick your foot into that Mustang, and all of a sudden, giddy up, right? You're, you, that's high-octane faith. That is how Christ wants to dwell in you. It's like sitting down after dinner and the host says, save your fork. I think that's the most beautiful words in the English language. <laughs> save your fork. Oh, I love when that's, when I, I tell you what, my, my, my sister over here, Kim, she can make some incredible dishes. She says, save your fork, and I'm getting ready. My, my mouth is already watering. I'm ready. But this word richness is like eating a rich dessert. It's like, it's like big piece of chocolate cake, you know, and it is so rich. You got to like, I got to have a glass of milk with this because it is so sweet. It's rich. Is your faith got that richness, right? It's not to be dull. That's the problem. We got too many Christians that are, you know, and they're walking around like zombies, that's not the word of God richly dwelling in you. There's got to be, it's got to exude with enthusiasm and passion, right? The way that happens is that we marinate in God's word. You know, the gospel message is to be over every other message that we intake. The gospel message is to live in you richly. It's to make its home in you. This is way beyond looking for your Bible on Sunday morning. Honey, have you seen my Bible? You seen my Bible, honey? No, 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 no. This is when your honey says to you, have you seen my husband? Because everything that happens to you, all I see is Bible. That's what this means to be able to afford a God to dwell in you richly. You guys got this? When it makes its home, it fills you with joy and gladness. The same joy that Mordecai had a chance to be able to share. When it dwells in you richly, there's joy gladness right it's contagious it's compelling do you know what your neighbor needs that neighbor needs that your co-worker needs a co-worker needs that Ephesians chapter 5 a companion passage to this passage says be filled with the spirit do not be drunk with wine for that is debauchery but be filled with the spirit of God and he continues on and he says these same words addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always for everything to God, for the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. In order for the the Spirit of God to fill you, you must be empty of the flesh. That's why Paul says, take it off. Peel back those clothes. Throw them off. Those are just stench. Some of us got in habits and we're filling our life with stuff that just don't need to be there. You know what I mean? I went through a season of my life where that was the case. Paul says, throw it off like a bad wardrobe. Throw it off. Some of us need to throw it off. Some of us need to declutter our house. All right? Now, I had this. This is interesting. This happened this past week. I went in. My, my son just got married uh, this past January. He's with his beautiful bride there. And, but he moved out of his room, and my, my daughter took over his room. My daughter's been waiting for this a long time. She's been wanting to be able to have her own space, and she wants to be able to have her own bathroom. You know what I'm saying? And so she uh, is, is ready um, to call. I mean, he's, he's, she's carrying out his stuff, you know. Let's go, let's go, let's go. And she's doing a makeover. And she's only got a desk in there in the corner, right? And she's got a little exercise mat. But I walked in there on Monday as I'm thinking about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And I walked in, and it hit me. My, I said, well, honey, what are you doing? And as soon as I said greetings to her, my voice echoed in that room, and it hit me. 
echo happens in a decluttered room. Reverberating gospel happens in a decluttered life. Right? You got me? Some of us need to take a load to the Salvation Army. Some of us need to declutter the things that are going on in our life so that we can make room for what matters most. You follow me? Does that make sense? Uh, and this is the last uh, little bit here. It says, look at, the, look at this next phrase. You can't help but tell others. It says here, and you teach it, you admonish with it, with all of wisdom. You know how and when and what situations to administer it. That comes with wisdom. My dad was so good at this. He exuded wisdom. Because the word of God dwelt in him richly. You could sit down with him and present a tough situation. And he would just listen and then he would speak. And when he spoke, it just was like, yes, that's right. That's it. That's it. That's what wisdom does for you. You know how to appropriate it. You know how to administer it. And this is what the word of God is to do for us. When you're with someone that has Jesus dwelling in them, it just exudes wisdom. When the peace of Christ rules us, when the word of God richly dwells in us, it changes your emotions and it brings deep joy. And that's what the next phrase is all about. And look what happens. You sing it. You see that? You sing it. Just like we've sung this morning. You sing it. You sing songs. You sing hymns. You sing spiritual songs. You sing what's in your heart because you can't contain it. Singing is the perfect place for us to think about reverberations of God's word in our how in our hearts. God's truth should take over our emotions. And unlike anything else, God's truth should move your emotions. And if it's not, then you haven't been with Jesus. Because if you linger in the word and you connect to Jesus' heart, he's going to bring joy. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you do. Some of you lived in the word and you know what it's like to be able to sense his presence and it brings joy and you just want to erupt in singing because it's so good. You can't contain it. That's what the word of God is meant to do. It's to bring joy. It's to bring gladness. And this is what creates a culture of contagious disciples. This is what your pastor's after. Verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, you do all. Everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. An interesting phrase, in the name. It means under the authority of. In his name. In his name. You don't live like this to represent you. You're not bringing attention to you. You live like this to represent him. And it's his authority. Now everything you do is because uh, we have a new name. Now everything we do is to represent him. Amen. When the church of God, it's all of us, are ruled by peace, umpired by the blood of Christ, and dwelt richly with the word of Christ, acting in the authority of Christ, his spirit will reverberate in and through your life, creating a culture of disciples that will be compelling. Amen? I close with your pastor's words. May our message go out because our God is worthy. He asked the question, do we have a passion for the lost church? He said, be willing to risk again and again and again and step out in faith. Man, that rang my bell on Monday as I'm listening to his word preached. Be willing again and again and again. You're going to get knocked down. Yeah, but be willing again and again to step out in faith, to trust him to fill you. Keep going. Your discipleship and my discipleship is not not finished until we see him face to face. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for this incredible message that we have to be able to declare to you. And I pray, Father, for my brothers and sisters in Christ here today. I pray that you have so filled them with joy and gladness over the redemption that we have in Christ. Lord, I pray as we have worked through this text 
like that, we would go away and we would look for ways to umpire our heart according to your peace. What is consistent and agreeable with you we would allow the only that for us to meditate on. And that out of you is the word of Christ that Jesus would be the one who would dwell in us richly and take over, make over every room in our house with your spirit of grace and wisdom. Lord, if there's any here that do not know you as our Lord and Savior, I pray today they would call out to you in their distress and their lack of salvation. They would call out to you, the God of salvation, their rock and their refuge, and they would declare themselves in need. I pray that they would tell somebody that they're with, I'm in need. The Spirit of God just hit me like a ton of bricks, and I'm in need. I'm in need for a fresh work of God in my life. I don't know where you're at in your faith, but you need prayer. And say, God, you say, Pastor, I... I need a fresh work of faith in my life. Would you just look up and acknowledge me with your eyes? I need a fresh work of God in my life. I need a fresh work. I need to see a fresh filling in my life. I want to be controlled by His Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for this privilege to declare your truth. I pray, Father, that it reverberates. It reverberates in and through our life so that, Father, that you would be seen. We love you and we praise you for the message, the glorious message of the gospel. May you go with us now as we seek to represent you and declare your incredible truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.